welcome to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. Uh, we are recording on Saturday, June 3rd. You're listening in to this for the first time on Sunday, June 4th, and it will be rebroadcast on Monday, June the 5th. My name is Jasmine, and I'm here with my co-host, Reese. How's it going, Reese? It's going. It's a sunny Saturday, so I'm in a good mood. How are you doing? I'm doing fairly well. Um, shout out to my, my grandmother and my aunt is visiting the city, so it was nice seeing them recently. Um, so I'm happy about that. It's not sunny in Brooklyn, um, but it's not raining either, so that's good. You know, okay. you can't have bright sunshine every day. I know. Y'all had a way better holiday weekend than we did, so. Yeah, we did. We definitely did. And it's also, this is our first show of Pride Month, so happy Pride to everybody who's celebrating. Yep, happy Pride. Please be safe out there, because, you know, as we this come up on the show, like, there's a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of emboldened, like, aggressive, violent people, like, who are anti-LGBTQ+, so... If you're celebrating, please try to do so safely. Be aware of your surroundings. Wear a mask because COVID is still out here. Um, You know, just look after yourself. On this week's episode, for local news, we'll be talking about the NYPD pursuing terrorism charges for Jordan Neely protesters. For national news, we'll be discussing, similarly in Atlanta, uh, terrorism charges being pursued against um, cop city protesters. For world news, we'll be discussing uh, Mexican law enforcement finding uh, bags of human remains. So very you know bleak story there. And for good news, uh, an elderly veteran finally being able to walk in his graduation. So I will be talking about the local news story. Um, this information comes from thepatch.com. And it's from a few weeks ago, so some of the information is a little out of date, um, but most of it still is. This is entitled, NYPD Pursued Terrorism Charges for Upper East Side Jordan Neely Protesters. Two Harlem women who climbed into Upper East Side subway tracks temporarily temporarily faced the same charges levied against convicted subway shooter Frank James. And this was written by Peter uh, Senzamichi on Thursday, May 11th. Police tried to charge two Harlem residents with terrorism after a Jordan Neely demonstration last weekend saw protesters leap onto Upper East Side subway tracks, officials said. Kiara Williams, 23, and Kimberly Bernard, 33, were arrested Monday and charged with terrorism after Sunday's protest at the Lexington Avenue 63rd Street Station, one in a series of demonstrations in the city since Neely died in the chokehold of former Marine Daniel Penny, according to officials. But the terrorism charges, which for comparison were also levied against convicted mass subway shooter Frank James, were later dropped, according to the Manhattan District Attorney's Office. Two others have been arraigned on charges related to the protest. Devin Fusaro, 29, and Josephine Perez, 43, who were both charged with felony second-degree assault, obstructing governmental administration, and criminal trespass. Williams, Bernard, and Furaso were released, while Perez posted a $20,000 bail, officials said. 
All others who have been arrested so far in connection to the protests were issued desk appearance tickets, the DA's office said. Police seek even more protesters for arrests. On Wednesday, police announced that they are now seeking five more protesters, bringing the total currently sought possibly up to 11 people. In addition to six unnamed people whose pictures were released Sunday, police say they are now seeking Florida resident Savon Thomas, Connecticut resident Christopher Silver, New Jersey resident Khalil Green, and Manhattan residents uh, Brenna Lipset and David Ingram, all between 23 and 31 years old, are wanted for jumping onto the subway tracks at the Lexington Avenue 63rd Street Station and criminal trespassing, the NYPD said. NYPD officials only said that the five people named yesterday are being sought in connection to a criminal trespass incident. The subway demonstration mirrored a 1987 subway protest when New Yorkers took to the train tracks in downtown Brooklyn following the killing of an unarmed 23-year-old black man named Michael Griffith, who was violently beaten by a group of white men in Howard Beach, Queens. A photographer who was at the protest 35 years ago told Insider that it felt like history had come full circle. Yesterday, Mayor Adams slightly reversed course on his prior restraint and spoke directly to Neely's death in a 14-minute live-streamed address. The mayor declined to name or refer to Neely's killer or to even say that the 30-year-old homeless man was killed at all, but instead doubled down on his plan to lock up more people with mental illness against their will. By contrast, Penny, whose chokehold was determined to be the cause of Neely's death by the city's medical examiner, officially ruled a homicide a week ago, was briefly detained by police but later released without charges. No witnesses have yet to describe Neely's behavior prior to his death as violent or directly threatening beyond being disruptive. Penny held Neely in a blood chokehold for over 15 minutes as bystanders told him the homeless 30-year-old in his grips had surely turned into a corpse. The DA's office told Patch last week that they were still looking into potential charges. Uh, so her full name is um, higher up in the article, Brenna Lipset. But like I was talking to Reese before we started recording, uh, Brenna Lipset is a recent NYU graduate from Gallatin. Uh, and she recorded herself on TikTok in the moments before, you know, leading up to graduation and that she was aware there was a warrant out for her. Um, so right after her ceremony, she was arrested on uh, domestic terrorism charges, according to her TikTok video. Um, and that video has since been removed from the site. Like you can no longer access it. So no clue like on any updates on what's going on with her. Um, but yeah, very harrowing. And I think people definitely need to be paying attention to this story and stories like this. That's awful, especially because these are the type of charges that really um, say something about you that's not being represented. You know, when you obviously any charge from the police is, is going to wreak havoc on your ability to get jobs, to be considered for things throughout life. But something like domestic terrorism, I think in the case of a protest over something you didn't believe in. Um, it's just, uh, it's wrong, first of all. I mean, 
obviously they're trying to protect something, trying to cover up something by, you know, taking the charges away from this man. He is connected, but it's also now the life of this woman who was just really standing up for what she believed in has now been hijacked, quite honestly, because trying to get out of this mess is going to be so it's going to cost her so much more than what she was simply doing by standing up for what she believed in. Um, and I think that they throw around these, you know, farce charges whenever they can to ruin the lives of everyday citizens. And it's just not fair because like we like we always say on the show, you know, they really abuse their power to do anything. And it makes it kind of confusing what they're there for in the first place. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely the idea is to discourage people from speaking out in any way. Because if you can do something where no one was harmed at all, um, all you did really was we're used to delays on the train any damn way. You know, that you stood on some tracks and that's what a protest is meant to do. Like you're causing some type of, like there's a way for you to stop people from going about their day to day like everything is normal. You're trying to be like, look, this is a gross injustice. Something needs to happen. And you know, any protest that doesn't accomplish that isn't a protest at all. Like, what what's the point then? And I appreciate how this article pointed out that these individuals are being sought after for such extreme charges that, as you pointed out, can be, are life-ruining. But the man who murdered someone else on the subway is getting off scot-free you know that tells you everything you need to know about the law and what it means for people to protect the law it's like certain people are disposable or are labeled as disposable and it doesn't matter what happens to them anyone who tries to push to get us to realize that that is not the case is also made disposable and treated like trash and you know the attempt is to disappear you from public view and make an example out of you yet you see people like daniel penny the killer is you know people are sending money to this man and you have outlets talking about him like he's some type of a hero because he murdered someone you know it's um it's very scary and i didn't realize that uh brenna lipset's tiktoks were taken down until earlier today like i had just watched them a few days ago and I'm hoping that she's not being mistreated or the other people that have been charged are not dealing with any violence right now, but you just, you don't know. Like once you get into that black box of being arrested, it's anybody's guess what happens to you next. Yeah, there definitely needs to be more focus on why this man who murdered him is being protected, is being guided through all of these civil processes and forgotten about and his name is not even being mentioned. You know, it's definitely not surprising, but in the same context, like there definitely needs to be more focused on that. The process of how this case is even being handled because it's happening right before our eyes. And, and although we see things like this happen all the time, more light needs to be shined on how this mayor is corroborating with these people to just really fuck up how New York is done. I feel like every week we talk about some madness that he's turning around, you know, in uh, infiltrating systems that have been in existence, 
just really wreaking havoc on people's lives by the way that he is supporting and not supporting things. And it's really disheartening because the true victim here is still being punished through people who supported him. And that is just, you know, that it's, it's intentional. And it is really hurtful to know that we are losing those rights. We are losing our ability to just simply speak up and speak out for what it is that we believe in. Before you know it, you know, I hate to even say it that way, but you'd be surprised how much censorship is going to happen, even on platforms like this. And, you know, grateful that this is community radio. But seriously, this is unheard of. And it's 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 really sad because what actually happened in this case is not the focus anymore. No, you're absolutely right. And we talked about it in a different episode. Well, no, I think it was even just last week how in Germany, the climate protesters, they had their offices raided or not like their homes raided by the police, you know, people that are fighting so that we can have a livable planet so that natural resources aren't destroyed and ruined to the point where we're all going to die, you know, yeah. or like that we're being poisoned. Those are the people that the government of Germany was going after with full force. You know, recently, also in Germany, like, oh, there were people who um, they attacked, like, some known neo-Nazis. Like, so people that are, like, violent, far-right extremists, like, straight-up Nazis, they're being protected now where it's like, oh, some of them got hurt, so we have to throw the people in jail who hurt them, even though, like, the people that are the quote-unquote victims are putting out literally like genocidal messaging and trying to aggressively like take over parts of the country, like their government, their courts are now treating them like they're the victim, you know? And then a few weeks ago at the coronation, there were the people protesting the coronation that were locked up, you know, arrested in public for exercising their right to protest like we're really seeing a coordinated effort not just in new york not just in the u.s but globally of you know these extreme charges against people just for exercising their right their freedom to protest and it's um it doesn't seem to be slowing down anytime soon so be careful when you're going out there standing up for your rights um, don't go alone if you can, you know, there are many books and different articles that you can read, um, just kind of telling you how to do things so that you can be protected or, you know, let somebody know, but it's, I know it's hard to do, you know, I've always been a person that's about that life. And over the past few years, with everything that's been going on, you know, it is intimidating. It is intimidating to want to do something and know that you're going to be in bigger trouble just by standing up what you believe in. Um, yeah, it's a hard time to be alive, man. But this ain't no different than things that we've seen in the past. Yeah, that's very true. I try to keep that in mind as well. Like, it's not the first time, won't be the last time. But, you know, there's always been people who fought back and continue to fight back against really bad odds. So wishing for the best outcome for these protesters facing these charges and hope that they come through this safe. Um, you are listening to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And for our first musical break, 
Uh, I saw them live a few years ago with a friend of mine, and I think it was, I don't know if it was after, right after Trump was elected, or it was some like really bad thing had happened in the United States. And uh, the lead singer, Florence Welch, who is British, like she kind of, before this song came on, she made a statement about just that acknowledging like the heaviness of the moment, but that there's always room for you to still hold out hope. So that's what I think of when I hear this song. This is Shake It Out by Florence and the Machine. We'll be right back. Regrets collect like old friends Here to relive your darkest moments I can see no way, I can see no way And all of the goods come out to play And every demon wants his pound of flesh But I like to keep some things to myself I'd like to keep my shoes strong It's always darkest before the provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, free expression, and public art. 
We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. Every dollar helps us stay on the air and allows us to continue our work in the community. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization, so all contributions are tax deductible. Please support with a monthly pledge or a one-time donation at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash donate. Welcome back to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And for the national news, this is me again. Uh, and I'm going to be reading the majority of an opinion piece that was published today, uh, June 3rd, on MSNBC um, by Micah Herskind. The title of the opinion piece is, If Those Supporting Cop City Prevail in Atlanta, Your City Could Be Next. Um, Arresting bail fund organizers is just the latest strategy that city and state officials have used to criminalize dissent and to attack those of us working to stop Cop City. Uh, it's, it's sort of lengthy, so I won't read all of it, but I'll read the majority of it. Um, early Wednesday morning in a residential area of Southeast Atlanta, a SWAT team showed up with riot gear and rifles. The Georgia Bureau of Investigation and the Atlanta Police Department arrested three organizers associated with the Atlanta Solidarity Fund a local bail fund that, since 2016, has offered legal support and help in covering bail to those who exercise their First Amendment right to protest. The Atlanta Solidarity Fund had also helped bail out those arrested for protesting the proposed creation of a $90 million public safety training center, which opponents have dubbed Cop City. Fiercely resisted by many Atlanta residents, but backed by corporations and politicians across the spectrum, Cop City would not only further train police in urban warfare tactics by offering a mock city to train in, but the construction of the proposed 85-acre facility would help to destroy a precious forest of 381 acres in a majority Black area of Southeast Atlanta. Atlanta activists had seen these arrests coming. In February 2023, Marlon Cox of the Solidarity Fund warned that Georgia prosecutors were building a criminal case against activists opposed to the project. Those predictions came true Wednesday when the SWAT team raided the home of Cox, Adele McLean, and Savannah Patterson and carted them to jail on charity fraud charges that experts have denounced as fabricated. A Wednesday tweet from the Atlanta Solidarity Fund characterized the arrest as, quote, an attempt to cut off protesters from legal aid and said, we remain unafraid and stand strong in fighting to protect civil liberties. The judge who granted bond to the defendants said that at this point in the prosecution's case, I don't find it very impressive. There's not a lot of meat on the bones. In contrast, on the day of the arrest, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp took to Twitter to announce that the state would not rest until all those involved in the quote-unquote criminal organization known as the Stop Cop City Movement are arrested, tried, and face punishment. In January 2023, Georgia state troopers who were part of a larger joint police task force killed Manuel Esteban Paez Terran one of many activists who had been living in the forest to defend it from devastation. Georgia state troopers opened fire on Tehran, who went by Tortuguita, while Tehran was in a tent, leaving 57 bullet wounds in the activist body 
despite an autopsy that suggests Tortuguita was killed with both hands raised in the air while sitting cross-legged. So I just want to emphasize that we talked about Tortuguita being killed in an earlier episode. They were sitting down, hands in the air, and state troopers shot this person 57 times. Since December 2022, police and prosecutors have charged 42 protesters with domestic terrorism for their perceived involvement with the movement, an extreme escalation that is being challenged in court as unconstitutional and that has been denounced by human rights organizations. Many of those who have been charged were simply attending a music festival in the forest when they were arrested. Others have been charged with felonies for simply handing out flyers that labeled one of the officers implicated in Tehran's death a murderer, leading the ACLU of Georgia to tell the Guardian in an email, it raises serious First Amendment concerns. It is also part of a broader pattern of the state of Georgia weaponizing the criminal code to unconditionally protect law enforcement and to silence speech critical of the government. When it comes to policing, cities often follow one another's playbooks, and the playbook we're seeing in Atlanta featuring extreme police repression and anti-democratic governance should scare everyone. City and state officials are replicating and escalating tactics often associated with totalitarian regimes. They're weaponizing the criminal legal system to intimidate, silence, and lock away critics of the government. Ironically, police and public officials are reinforcing exactly the type of repression that critics of Cop City say the facility will escalate. The arrest of the Solidarity Fund organizers holds implications for those working for justice across the country, whether for other bail funds, abortion funds, travel funds for migrants, or any other mutual aid group that supports those who are criminalized or marginalized. And just as Stop Cop City activists have been charged with domestic terrorism, so too were protesters in New York City who rose up against the killing murder of Jordan Neely on that city subway. More broadly, multiple states have passed critical infrastructure and domestic terrorism laws in recent years in response to protests for environmental justice and indigenous sovereignty. The message behind these laws is, If you fight for a livable future or resist oppression, you might be labeled a domestic terrorist and prosecuted accordingly. Um, So I'm going to stop reading at that point. Um, The author goes on to give some examples of how people in Georgia are very bravely continuing to fight back in spite of these repressive tactics, but very important story that's still unfolding in Georgia right now and as we talked about earlier in other parts of the country as well so please keep your eyes on it and um, look out for if these things are coming to a city near you see I swear this whole domestic terrorism terminology um I hope they really did give every single one of those people from January 6th that same fucking term. Because at the end of the day, I don't I don't care what investigations the police have going on, you know, this whole cop city 
idea that they're doing. I'm sure this has happened in other cities and states and they just didn't put it out there. It's just not like public information, but it is within these breeding grounds that they strategically come up with these ways to oppress us even further. You know, these think tanks, these operation, you know, go get them, if you will, is when and how they continue to find ways to manipulate laws that were designed for them to win anyway. And so the reality is, you know, none of us are safe. I hate to be so dismal about this, but if they're meeting and coming up with tactics, we need to be doing the same because obviously whatever we think is our rights are not. And that's really on a case by case basis, but it's also becoming more general understanding that we need to really adapt it to our lives because we're fighting for rights and freedoms that they told us was ours, but we've seen so many things rolled back especially within the last four years when you wasn't looking, a lot of these states down in the South, in the middle of the country, have rolled back all kinds of things to some old draconian type of way of handling things. And we don't really pay, we as a people, that is, don't pay enough attention to these smaller pockets that are overturning things that we fought and people before us have fought to sustain. So at this point, anybody who opposes any of these changes that you may not even be aware of at this point is a domestic terrorist. And they're really just trying to defend the liberty that they were told or had an understanding that was theirs to begin with. When it's it's just not true. I mean, you don't even know what to believe anymore. Yeah, that's, you're absolutely right. And um, there was a different article um, in the sal- in Salon under their commentary section by Sophia Tesfaye called Fascism, Free Speech, and Cop City, What's Happening in Atlanta and Why It Matters. And in Sophia's writing, what I thought was important that they brought out is that this is a bipartisan effort. It's also in the MSNBC opinion piece that I just read from that, like you said, none of us are safe. And I definitely think in certain parts of the country that are quote unquote blue or people think that they're blue the same types of things are also happening like there was um not it wasn't called cop city but in chicago there was like a similar movement against something that was going to be like a compound for cops to practice urban warfare and that was you know brutally repressed and everything and people you know it's a big city in the north that doesn't mean that the people living there are exempt from this exact same playbook. And that label of criminal, it really and truly, it is whatever the people in power want it to be. It's not some objective thing. So when you look at stuff like um, bringing it back to Jordan Neely, when people are talking about the number of times they've been arrested, and then you look at what they've been arrested for, it will be stuff that's like, well, obviously, if you don't have a place to live, you're going to be arrested for something like public urination or loitering or I don't know, like there's cops that will harass you for taking up more than certain people for taking up more than one seat on the subway. Because I remember it was so it wasn't funny, but I would back when I used to work uptown, I was on the train it was kind of busy. So people were looking for seats and there was a white person, young white person, relatively well-dressed laid down across like three, four seats. And I was next to this older black man. I think he was, no, I think he was West African. And we looked at each other and he was like, 
but because she's white, they're not going to say anything to her. But like, had if, if it's one of us, you know, here comes the goon squad to do something to you because it's all that label of criminal just means like undesirable person, basically. Look at how many politicians we have in office being lauded and they're straight up criminal when you look at their activity. But what's the consequence? Nothing. But people that have very little power on their own, they're speaking up, they're speaking out against oppression, against the environment being degraded. And they have the book thrown at them. They have the library thrown at them. You know, it's so... It's not just one part of the country. It's not some little pocket. Like, they're piggybacking off of each other and it's coming to your area if it's not already there. It probably is already there and you don't even know if you're not on top of these types of things. And it's only going to get worse. It really is. I mean, we need to just prepare our hearts and minds for the destruction of our reality that we understand it to be. You know, a lot of times I feel like we live in a bubble of disbelief, you know, and not even to be so dismal, but we have to keep it real because if you haven't figured this out by now, everything they told you is a lie, right? So you have to come up with your own understanding about things. And every time we do these stories, it just reiterates and reinforces everything that we've been talking about for so long when it comes to this. So I just really hope that you know, I'm not even sure what level of organizing is going to help at this point, just because it is so widespread and it is becoming so much more, um, you know, um, it's just it's, it just seems like it's on the rise. This level of just oppression and uh, people getting caught up in the system by accident, if you will. But it's also by design. And we just have to continue to speak out, continue to you know, tell young people about this so that they don't go out here thinking that they write is one thing and then being told that they write to something else. Um, and just be mindful of your choices, you know, quite honestly, because at the end of the day, we can say whatever we want about how we feel. But when you are aware that this is happening around you, you have to just make better choices. You have to just be more mindful that the world is not as you think it is. Um, and you need to move accordingly. Right. And I I often find myself thinking and feeling the exact same way that you just said, that things are going to get a lot worse before they get better. And the intent behind these extreme actions, you know, I'm repeating myself, but it's to make an example out of these individuals to scare other people away from speaking up. And I think one thing to keep in mind is that what it's, it's just like when you see the nature shows and you see like the um, the predator is trying to pick off the weak ones in the herd or something. It's like they want to try to find people that they can separate out and like do the worst to them to try to scare everyone else in the group. And there's a lot of people that are in the broader group that could be speaking up, that could be showing solidarity with their words and their actions and their money who aren't. And when you don't do that, you make it easier for these um, protesters, people like these protesters to be picked off. Like it's making me think, um, I talk about COVID a lot on this show, but like recently in um, Colorado, 
they were starting the rhetoric of like labeling people with medical masks, like wearing medical masks, like against airborne viruses as criminals. Like they were saying that that's a reason to pursue someone as suspicious. And when you think about it, it's like the more people wear masks and make it normalized, the harder it's going to be to actually enforce some type of a ban or to make it seem like you're shady because you're wearing a mask. So it makes a big difference. Like if everyone does something small to show that they're on the same page about that, you make it that harder. You make it that much more difficult for our enemies to pick off some of the most vulnerable but when you go along with the status quo and it's not my problem, it's not a big deal, like you're making it much easier for all of this force and attention to go to a small number of people and squash any type of momentum we have for a better future. So that was a long like aside, but you know, it's we're not completely helpless. You know, the fact that they're ramping up these things means that they know that people have power, people have power collectively. And they don't want us to use it, which is why you're seeing this gross overreaction now. So um, like Micah said in the end of his opinion piece, like there's tons of people fighting back. They're organizing, you know, you can do the same wherever it is that you are. Absolutely. And at the very least, you can spread the knowledge, right? Let, let people be informed, especially younger people um, who don't necessarily do the work to learn this stuff, may not have witnessed what we have witnessed in our lives that make us uh, make different decisions. You know, we really need to be having a communal conversation about these changes um, outside of this, this show and podcast into just small pockets of people within your church, within your community, on your job. And it doesn't just have to be the Black community. It's, it's every community should be aware. Um, as far as I'm concerned, the way they look at us is, is us against them. And we need to have that same camaraderie um, amongst ourselves if we really want to do something about it. True. Absolutely. Uh, so that's it for our national news um, story. You are listening to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And this is Redemption Song by Bob Marley and the Whalers. We'll be right back. Sold I to the merchant ships Minutes after they took I From the bottomless pits But my hand was made strong By the hand of the Almighty We forward in this generation Triumphantly Won't you help to sing These songs of freedom Cause all I ever have Redemption songs Redemption songs Emancipate yourselves from mental slavery None but ourselves can free our minds Have no fear for atomic energy Cause none of them can stop the time 
How long shall they kill our prophets While we stand aside and look Some say it's just a part of it We've got to fulfill the book Won't you help to sing These songs of freedom Cause all I ever have Redemption songs Redemption songs If you'd like to listen to Radio Free Brooklyn when you're not in front of your computer, please download our free mobile app for iPhone and Android, available in the App Store for iPhone or the Google Play Store for Android. Also, please be sure to subscribe to our monthly newsletter for the latest news about new programming and upcoming Radio Free Brooklyn events. You can sign up at radiofreebrooklyn.org forward slash newsletter. Welcome back to Objection to the Rule, and up next we have Reese with our world news story. All right, so this um, article is from Al Jazeera. Um, I don't see a title listed, but um, the date is June 2nd. The title, I'm sorry, I don't see an author listed. The title of the author, it, title of the article is Mexico police discover at least 45 bags filled with human remains. At least 45 bags with human remains have been found in the ravine in the Western Mexican state of Jalisco during a search for seven young people reported missing last week. The gruesome discovery was made at the bottom of a 40 meter ravine in the municipal city of Zapopan, a suburb of Guadalajara, a large industrial hub. 45 bags with human remains have been extracted that belong to both male and female people, the state prosecutor's office said in a statement on Thursday. Authorities found the remains during a search for two women and five men, all aged about 30, who have been reported missing in the area since May 20th. The missing persons report for each of the seven had been made separately on different days, but investigators found that they all worked at the same call center, which was in the same area as where the human remains were discovered. Forensic experts have yet to determine the number of victims contained in the bags or their identities. Initial inquiries suggest the call center could have been involved in illegal activities, and local media reported that authorities had found marijuana, a cloth and cleaning rag with apparent bloodstains, as well as documents on possible commercial activities. Authorities said that among the human remains found in the bag, some appeared to match characteristics of some of the missing young people. Firefighters and civil def defense are working with the helicopter to recover the remains from the gorge and plan to continue over the coming days. More than 110,000 people have been reported missing throughout Mexico, and Jalisco is the state with the highest number at 15,000, according to the federal government data. There are also thousands of unidentified remains in morgue and cemeteries across the countries. Al Jazeera's Manuel Rapallo, reporting from Mexico City, said the country has seen more violence during the presidency of Andreas Manuel Lopez Obrador than any other administration. During his four and a half years as president, more than 40,000 people have been reported missing and some 156,000 people murdered, Rapallo said. 
Lopez Obrador said this week that he would support pursuing a peace agreement with cartels in order to stop the bloodshed that has overwhelmed the country. The president's comments came after an activist searching for her missing brother published an open letter directed at 10 organized crime groups calling for them to stop and practice a stop calling for them to stop the practice of forced disappearance. The crisis of disappeared persons in Mexico is the worst of its kind in Latin America, and as the spiral of violence continues to worsen, many are wondering if a peace deal between drug cartels and the government really is a rad is that radical of an idea, Rapello said. Though Mexico has increased resources for searching for missing persons, the sheer number of disappeared over is overwhelming. Guaranteed that without some solution to the crisis, the search for loved ones will go on indefinitely. Juan Salgado, an investigator with the World Justice Project, told Al Jazeera that negotiating with drug cartels is a negotiation with an armed group and talks with such groups need to be considered in terms of complex peace building strategy. The Jalisco New Generation Cartel operates in the state and is one of the most powerful organized crime groups in Mexico and in, is embroiled in disputes over drug syndicates. So that's the end of the snippet of the article here. Um, there's a couple of other ones on different news outlets, but they didn't give that much of the background of what's been going on um, in this city. Oops, sorry. I have reported on uh, recently on a story about um, some Americans who were um, kidnapped in Mexico recently. So this seems to be an ongoing problem specifically for this city. Wow, that's really, I mean, losing your loved one, no matter what the circumstances, is hard. You know, losing them to violence is extremely hard. I can't even imagine what it's like to it's not even like you know where they are or what exactly happened you know like when you see that term like to be disappeared it's like literally just one day they're here the next thing you know you have no clue where they are and it's like years that people wait and sometimes never get an answer to what happened to their child their sibling their parent it's just so it's so torturous and cruel like to lose someone like that. And I can't even imagine what it's like to, you know, get this news that this is how your loved one was found. If they're found at all, it's just so horrific, so terrible. Yeah. It's one of those stories that like, you know, there's really no resolve for things like this. Um, it is obviously an ongoing uh, problem within this region and the fact that all these people worked at the same place I thought was um, an interesting fact of this case and within the area that you know the article talked about how there's just like remnants of people within city morgues and different areas of this city so it's almost like you know it's a known practice of violence to have disappearing acts and under this presidency you know we talked a little bit about how you know these leaders these so-called leaders in these cities are connected to people that just who are they serving that they're serving and it's not the best interest of the people but within the last four and a half years like those numbers are scary and i 
I probably would lose my damn mind if somebody told me one of my family members disappeared and there was no explanation. Like I would not be okay. Um, and I would demand justice. You know, I would I would do whatever I can and probably get myself caught up in some shit trying to figure this out, you know, day in, day out, just just people just disappearing without any explanation. I mean, it. I don't even know where to begin on trying to alleviate this. Uh, what do you think about making peace treaties with drug cartel? Do you think that's a reasonable suggestion? It, does it just sound, is it just good talk or, you know, like what, what would be their benefit besides the benefits they already have, quite frankly? I mean, honestly, I don't know enough about, you know, like it's, it is a complicated issue and like the history of these groups in that country. Like I don't have enough information to like make any strong statement about it, but I do, I think it's, it seems like just coming to a point where it's acknowledging just the sheer amount of power that these groups have that you can't pretend like it's some kids on the corner street crime you know what i'm talking about it's like these are like very organized you know heavily armed groups that exert tons of power like in these areas so uh, it it seems like at the very bare minimum just kind of like being realistic about that fact that that's where the situation is at this point like it's not some little fringe group it's like these are massive organizations that are running things in a lot of these places so something needs to happen i don't know what the negotiation would look like like i would have to read more read up more on like what specifically is obrador talking about doing like what would be would it be like letting these groups operate and not prosecuting them or something is that what they're talking about like what would be the compromise or negotiation between the two i can't i'm not really clear on that yeah i don't exactly know either i just you know just the thought of it like you know, this activist that spoke out and is saying like, you know, we have to explore all possible realms of trying to alleviate this problem. You know, it's just an interesting thought. Like what, where does that even begin or start or end? You know, is it realistic? Because obviously there must be some agreement already in place if this shit is happening at these alarming numbers and nothing's being done about it, you know? So yeah or like and there's so much coming from outside of the country as well like a lot of the weapons come from the u.s and you know it's like it's now this is like an international thing because there's drugs coming across the border in both directions weapons largely going from the u.s into this country so there's so many moving parts and different affected groups like it's hard there isn't going to be like one simple solution but whatever they're doing now is clearly not working like i didn't know that things had were so bad under obrador where they were saying in the article that it's the worst administration for these murders like that's that's saying a lot yeah and the reality is you know it's hard enough for them to even have a democratic election (laughs) within this country without it being some level of violence. And that's this country and many other countries across the world. So, you know, just just thoughts um, for these people who just go disappearing and their whole lives are just gone and the lives of their families are just left to pick up the pieces if they can of whatever was there. 
speaking of crime and criminals, like there are a lot of things that no matter what you do, like they will always exist. Like, and one of them is like drugs and different things that you use. And I'm not saying like all drugs are the same or that there's not very real serious harm that happens. Like when people are on certain substances and they're not themselves anymore, like that's all very real, but also people have been using like mind altering things since the beginning of time. I feel the same way about sex work, for example, like that's something that's always existed and will always exist. But there's something to be said about the way like laws are made to criminalize certain things that will always happen that I think exacerbates the problem. And it gives a lot of power to the people who then do the underground side of that. So I don't know what it would look like. I'm not saying like outright that like, well, the solution is to just, you know, make all this stuff legal. Like, I'm not saying that I know it's not a black and white simple thing, but I do think that that should be part of the mindset is that, you know, having this, this alternate reality where because these things that are always going to happen anyway are driven underground and so thoroughly criminalized that you then have this this other like shadow government of criminal people running all of that stuff. Like it's, that's clearly not working. So we got to not just in Mexico, but like we got to be more creative about how to confront this shit because it just seems to be going from bad to worse. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I'm also going to try to bring us some good news today. I mean, this one is like, you know, yeah, right. I mean, this one is super light. <laughs> In lieu of the season, uh, congratulations to everyone graduating during this time from kindergarten, sixth grade, eighth grade, high school, college, graduate school, medical school, law school. Shout out to everybody. <laughs> Shout out to everybody completing um, the task. It's not easy, especially with the life, the world, the way it is today or yesterday. Um, so this is just a little more heartwarming story. Um, it's actually on uh, goodmorningamerica.com. And the title is 101-year-old veteran finally gets to walk during college graduation ceremony. Uh, the author is uh, Jaylene Lopez. It took 80 years, but it was worth it. Fred Taylor, who is 101 years old and lives in California, was deployed during war World War II to serve in the Army Air Corps Reserve. As a result, he wasn't able to attend his 1943 graduation at Cornell College in Mount Vernon, Iowa, where he had expected to receive a degree in music. Recently, however, Fred Taylor got the opportunity to walk alongside other graduates thanks to his granddaughter, Linda Taylor. According to Cornell College, Linda Taylor, who was a professor and no stranger to graduation ceremonies, gifted her father with tickets to Iowa so he could finally attend his long-delayed graduation ceremony. Linda mentioned this idea a long time ago, Fred Taylor said, according to the Cornell College News Post. But it was a big surprise to me that she had gone ahead and made the arrangements to do it. So, of course, I'm surprised and excited about it. Linda Taylor added, you know that feeling when you give somebody you love something really special that delights them and even delights you even more? Better late than never, I think. Fred Taylor's time at Cornell College shared important parts of his life. It was there that he finished his music degree. He would later get a master's degree in music education at Drake University and serve as a music teacher for years before his retirement 
and meet his future wife, Peggy Newberg, during that senior year. The college was extremely important to me, he said. Even though his father was able to drive to school to pick up his diploma while he served in the military, Fred Taylor said the ceremony brought everything full circle. It really ties the ribbon on it. Makes me feel like I am now complete, he told ABC's affiliate KCRG. So a little good feel good feeling, 101, 101. And he walked across that stage. I just thought that was such a cute story. So shout out to Fred and his daughter, Linda, who made it all happen for him. Yeah, congratulations, Fred. Congrats to his family. That's that's beautiful. And those ceremonies, they do mean something, you know, like there was, I don't know if you saw, but it pissed me off so bad. It was black kids graduating from high school and some of them like were dancing and somebody called the police, like there were police there that stopped them. And I'm like, you know what, life is so hard and not for nothing. You don't know if you're going to be here tomorrow or like if you're going to make it to the next milestone, like anything, like celebrate when you have those things that happen for you in your life, you know, have joy. You don't know what people went through to cross that stage, you know? Yeah, they could have been the first people in their family to have graduated. You know what I'm saying? You know, so these moments are really important. So that's it, y'all. We did it. We did a show. We did it. So thank you so much for listening to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. Uh, Stay tuned for more community-based internet radio. And for our last track, this is Talk by Coldplay. Have a good week, everybody. Bye. Bye. to you.